Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Everybody, um, if you're watching us online, joining us, you're so welcome. It's great to have you here. For any of you who missed my little friend Kit over here uh, just after our liturgy, we all prayed, uh, Jesus, help us to give our lives away to others so they may encounter your love. And he's sitting on the stage and went, that's a great idea. <laughs> what do we treasure? Just on little people. Um, folks, oh, here he is. Hey, buddy. <laughs> I really deserved that, didn't I? Sorry, Roy. Roy and Kelly are like, why did you say his name? Um, <laughs> just on little people, this is really important. Guys, after service, um, when we're talking in the foyer with the weather the way it is, the doors are open. So um, please keep an eye on your little people. Um, this one knows me, and so when I pick him up, uh, he doesn't mind too much. But there was one last Sunday who didn't know me, and when I picked them up as they were heading for the car park, it was a wee bit traumatic, but a better choice than letting them run into the car park. So if you wouldn't mind, just keep an eye on your little people in between or after services. That would be super, super helpful. Uh, Spring, it seems, has sprung um, until Friday. Sorry, guys. Um, this is the weird world of climate change that we live in, but it has been amazing to see trees starting to bud. The fields around our house are starting to fill up with little lambs. Uh, we can sense the season begin to change. And truthfully, that is kind of the moment we feel like we're in as a church, where we feel like um, the season is changing. And we think God is up to something, that this is a moment for us to step into something new. Now, there's something really important before we jump into the scriptures this morning that I just want to say. Typically, in rooms like this, from people like me, when we talk about God doing a new thing, often the kind of posture of everybody else is, I wonder what that will be. And let's all wait and watch. This couldn't be more opposite to that moment. We really believe like, that this is a moment for us to step into something new, but it requires us to be involved. It requires our discernment. It requires prayerful reflection. And crucially, it requires action, choices, decisions that we would make to actually step together into something new. It's really, really important that we don't just approach this through the lens of, okay, God, well, we'll just wait and watch and see what happens. This couldn't be further from the moment I think we are all in as we emerge out of what the last two years has been. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 10 this morning. Uh, if you've brought a Bible, why don't you go to Joshua chapter 10? There should be a Bible nearby. If you haven't brought one, shame on you. I'm just joking. Um, but do please bring a Bible. Um, but why don't you go to page 150 in your black Bibles? Um, I want us to hold a question as I teach through um, this passage this morning. And the question that I'd love us to hold is this. What are you praying for right now? What are you praying for right now? And I don't mean in this moment, like I'm praying that you would hurry up so I can get them a lunch. <laughs> in your life, in this season of your life or your family, what is the thing that you are praying for 
We're going to begin in verse 6, Joshua chapter 10. Come Holy Spirit. The Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal. Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth Horon and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Makedah as they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Azekah. The Lord hurled large hailstones down on them and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord, in the presence of Israel, sun stands still over Gibeon and you moon over the valley of Aijalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it was written in the book of Jashar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp at Gilgal. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks. And Father, we present ourselves here in this moment and we humbly say, speak to us. Holy Spirit, you're welcome. We need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you missed last week, the kind of people that we're talking about here are called the Gibeonites, and they're kind of a bit of a sneaky, deceitful people. They tricked Joshua and the Israelites in chapter 9 into making a peace treaty with them. And when all of their neighbors heard that they had made a peace treaty with Israel, they banned together a bunch of kings, five to be exact, who lived near the Gibeonites, and they decided they were going to come and destroy them. Verse 6, the Gibeonites send word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal. Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Now, we don't normally use a political lens to read the scriptures, but this is kind of a helpful moment to put some political glasses on and think about what's actually going on here. The Gibeonites are supposed to be Israel's enemies. And they trick Joshua and the Israelites into making a peace treaty with them when they realize that the Israelites are coming soon. And the people of Israel, whenever they find out that the Gibeonites tricked them into this peace treaty, they all start to grumble against their leaders. And the inference is this, we have disobeyed God by going into a peace treaty with these people. They have deceived us in order to get us into this peace treaty. Therefore, we should kill them all. And Joshua, in front of all of the people, says, I have made a big mistake. And the way of dealing with big mistakes is not to make further mistakes. And so even though we've been deceived, even though we've been tricked, we will be true to our word. We will not 
destroy them. This moment poses a really interesting test for Joshua because he promised the Gibeonites he wouldn't destroy them, but now someone else has appeared and is basically offering to do the job for him. I wonder, have you ever been betrayed in your life? Ever been lied to or tricked into doing something that you didn't want to do? How did you feel about that betrayal or that lie? Do you remember how you felt towards that person or those people? How quickly would you run to their aid if you found out they needed it? Someone has betrayed your family, tricked you into doing something you didn't want to do, and then you find out that they're in need. I wonder how many of us would be like, oh, they need something. We better go help them. Joshua has a really easy way out of the mistake that he has made. There's a really easy way for him to save face with the people of Israel, and it's basically to do nothing. This isn't in the text, but I can't help but wonder how many advisors around Joshua were saying, do nothing. This is God's judgment on the Gibeonites. Like they lied to us, they deceived us, and this is what you get whenever you behave that way. And we should stay here and let all these people that are marching against the Gibeonites do what they will with them. You could hear the logic, well, I promised I wouldn't destroy you, but I didn't promise that I would stop someone else doing that. How easy would it be to interpret this moment in that way? The late Dallas Willard said this. He said, the most important thing in your life is not what you do, it is who you become. That is what you will take with you into eternity. You've heard people say before that when you die, you're not taking anything with you that is not true. You are taking the character that has been formed by the Holy Spirit with you into eternity. That is what you will take with you. It's why spiritual formation matters. The most important thing in your life is not what you do, it is who you become. That is what you will take with you into eternity. The most spiritual thing in your life is what? Your choices. Any of you who have been around here any length of time will have heard me say that many times. The most spiritual thing in your life are your choices. Choices determine the person or the people we become. And Joshua faces a choice here. Will he be true to his word? Or will he let himself off on a technicality? You know that it's possible to be right and wrong all at the same time. It is possible to be right and be wrong at the same time. Joshua knew he could technically be right by abandoning these people, but he also knew that that would be a moral violation. Sure, legally, perhaps in the treaty, he's not violating anything, but before God, in the secret place of his heart and his life, he knows that that decision would be wrong. It's very easy to think that lives get built by grand gestures, big moments, but of course that is not true. 
with Jesus, the biggest things in our life are typically the smallest things, the choices that we make in the quiet corners of our lives every single day. You see, integrity is built like a house. It starts with what's underground, the things that no one else sees. So let me ask us this question. What choices are you making right now when no one else is watching? What choices are we making when no one else can see? The new ground that I sense the Lord leading us as a group of individuals and as a local expression of the church of Jesus into, the new ground that I believe the Lord is leading us into is holy ground. And at the risk of getting a wee bit serious or intense for a moment or two, my sense is that we've been playing with holiness for quite some time, reducing God to something or someone we are comfortable with. Church becomes spiritual entertainment and the gospel becomes, I didn't really get much out of that today. Dana sent me a clip from a conversation this week where one person asked the other, why are so many people trusting in the universe over God these days? And the other person responds, because the universe isn't going to tell you to take up your cross and die. Our idols inevitably have the same moral standards that we have. God, on the other hand, says he wants our whole heart, our whole soul, our body, our mind, our money, our hands, our children, our marriage, absolutely everything. That is the gospel, and it only works if we surrender our full and entire lives to Jesus. It's kind of Sunday school-esque, but he is either Lord of all or not Lord at all. My prayer, as we approach the end of this series, is that the new ground as a church that we move into would indeed be holy ground, where our purity and our holiness as both individuals and as a church would be like nothing we have ever seen before. And that begins in the quiet corners of our lives where nobody else is watching. Joshua refuses the easy way out. He makes the hard choice. Verse seven says, so Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army. And there's this little detail here that I find fascinating and it tells you everything you need to know about Joshua. It says at the end of that verse, including all his best fighting men. These sneaky deceitful Gibeonites deserve the least and Joshua brings his best. This is truly the shape of a life that God blesses. A moment where he justifiably could have brought his least, but instead he chooses to show up with his best. They march all night, they surprise their enemies. The next part of the story is a bit mad. They win the battle and more or less after the outcome of the battle has been decided, there is this heel-shower of giant heelstones, and the scriptures record that the heelstones kill more of the people that they are fighting than their own swords do. Now, if I'm an Israelite warrior who, again, the detail that we don't get, but it's guaranteed, has just watched some of my friends lose their life in the battle, 
If I'm an Israelite warrior, I'm looking at that and going, that God a couple of hours earlier would have been really helpful. I'm up for it, we'll march all night, we'll draw our swords, we'll get ready for battle, but just before the battle starts, that would have been the time to send your heel shower. And it wouldn't have cost us anything. Why does God behave this way? I have said this over and over and over again because his design is that we would be dependent upon him. He has designed us to be dependent upon him. People ask me all the time, Andy, why does God allow us to go through hard things? And there are so many answers to that question. Very few of them will really deal with the pain you're experiencing when you're asking that question. But one of the reason difficulty comes into our life is not because of sin. One of the reasons is because God is calling us higher to a greater level of faith, to a greater level of dependence upon Him. It is as we go and get out of our depth with Jesus that we get to discover His promise that He will never leave us or forsake us. The reason that promise is so profound and so sustaining in our lives is because it comes true when we need it the most. April 2018, things around here were pretty challenging. And truthfully, I wasn't in a great place. And we had a board meeting and I had a confession to the board that sounded something like this. Guys, I don't know if I'm going to make it to Christmas. I was exhausted. There was loads going on. There was not enough people to do everything that needed to be done. It was just really hard. And we had a really sober conversation because I knew as well as everybody else around the table that there was no budget for any help. There was no solution on the table, but it felt appropriate for me to just make sure that everybody else knew where I was at. And the conversation kind of wrapped up with this fairly somber, we're with you, we're praying, and we hope God does something. It was kind of as basic as that. I don't know why I wrote the agenda this way, but the next item on the agenda was how much money are we gonna give to the journey for their building campaign? So there's another church on the other side of town led by the wonderful Gary Bolton called The Journey. And they were approaching a building project not dissimilar to what we had done a few years previous. And we felt like God had prompted us to give towards their building campaign. So next conversation with our board was how much money are we gonna give The Journey? And we all kind of looked at each other with no one really knowing what to say. And I thought, well, why don't we give them five grand? Because you know it's a significant amount of money, but like, We'll tighten our belts and we'll be okay. Mark Wilkinson, who chairs our board, said, Andy, we've always said it's not generosity until it's sacrifice. I think we should give them 10. And I thought, shut up, Mark. (laughs) (laughs) As we looked at each other around the table, it became really clear to us that that was the right thing to do. And something happened as I minuted that we were gonna give the journey 10,000 pounds towards their building project that is very hard to explain. 
it felt like faith walked into the room and it felt like God said everything's going to be okay. Now the next day, things were equally as hard and the next week, frankly, the next month. Many of you will remember the moment where we invited Gary and his son down here. We told them we had a small gift for them towards their building and uh, we gave them the check. I mean, it was just one of, it was one of my favorite moments leading this, this community. But the beginning of June, I got a phone call from a couple uh, who are part of our church. They asked to meet me. They'd been living overseas for a while, and they asked to meet me and to bring a trustee uh, with me. I thought, oh, Lord, I'm in trouble. <laughs> and um, myself and trustee went down to meet this couple, and they said, uh, Andy, we just wanted to meet you to say that God has spoken to us and uh, we're going to give Lagan Valley Vineyard £120,000 for salaries and staff development. And I, I was stunned. And then they said, people like us usually invest in buildings and projects because they're sexy, but life's in people and we want to invest in that. And I said, did you know what we did last month with the journey? And I'll never forget it. He said, I'm really sorry. We've been away and I don't read the emails. out of our depth, no idea where the solution was going to come from, led by some beautifully faith-filled souls, we decided to give away more than we could afford, and God gave us 12 times back. We only get to see the provision of God when we are out of our depth when we say yes to more than we think we're capable of, when we follow Jesus in risks that to many around us don't make a pile of sense. And my fear for so many of us is that we live our lives with Jesus through the God stories of other people that we read in books or hear in podcasts or find out about in conferences. And the reality is, for every single one of you, there is an adventure with Jesus available to you, but it is so uncomfortable. And it is in that adventure that we get to discover that God is not an idea that we subscribe to or a set of beliefs that we sign up to. He is a real and empowering presence that longs to demonstrate how good he is through our lives. And that requires us to step out and discover in the middle of challenge that he is who he says he is. Joshua, watching his army win the battle, stands up and prays. Sun stands still over Gibeon. You moon over the valley of Aijalon. I don't know if you've ever had a moment, maybe in some crazy worship setting or something going on in your life where like, you just get a bit carried away. I can't help but wonder if those around Joshua, because it says he prays this prayer in the presence of Israel. He stands up and he prays, sun stands still, moon stay there. Like you can imagine everyone going, Jesus lost the plot. I mean, we're winning the battle and God's doing a miraculous thing in front of us, but Joshua, calm down. 
Verse 13 is mad, mind-blowing. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on all of its enemies. Joshua cultivates a life of secret integrity. He leads his people deeper than any of them wanted to go, and in that place, prays the boldest prayer of his entire life, and God says, okay. What are you praying for right now? How big are your prayers? The occupation of new ground requires us to be sustained by the supernatural. This is not supposed to be something that we can simply achieve on our own. Yes, the most spiritual thing in our life is our choices, but our lives with Jesus are never the sum of our choices. Yes, the most spiritual thing in our lives are our choices, but our lives with Jesus are never the sum of our choices. I find myself again and again and again blown away that my life is what it is, that it looks the way that it looks. It is impossible for Dana and me and the kids to be living this life as simply a result of our choices. We just don't have enough We don't have enough resource. We're not smart enough. We couldn't have made this happen on our own. It is as we make our quiet, faithful choices, as we say yes to Jesus, that he meets us and he multiplies that into something that we would not be able to imagine without him. We better know how to pray big, impossible prayers. I love the sense of flow in this because the impossible prayer, the sun stands still prayer comes after an integrity test. This is the bit of the story that we don't want. We all want to pray the impossible prayers while we live our lives however we want to live them. And I don't say this too often this directly, but guys, that's offensive to God. That we would be able to just live our lives however we want it, and when we get in trouble, ask him to just move on our behalf. Now, the reality is, in his grace, I've seen him do that so many times, but it will not sustain us as a community. It is as we cultivate secret and hidden holiness as our integrity is tested and we are proved faithful that we get to look at the sun and say, stay there a second. There's work for us to do here. What choices are you making? What prayers are you praying? Roy, why don't you and the guys come back up. I feel like with one week left in Joshua, and this is the preacher's curse, is the fear that we miss the moment. That we go, great series. That was interesting, wasn't it? That was good. And we just slip on by into the next thing. Easter's coming. We're going to baptize a bunch of people. We're so excited about that. But there is a moment for us 
as a church community, that I feel a heaviness on that God would look at us and say, let me search you. Let me point out the things in you right now that are offensive to me. Let me forgive you. Let me restore you. And then let me demonstrate how good I am to the world through you. That is the sequence, guys. That we're not messing around with this. That we are able to be open and honest before a holy and righteous God and say, search me, O God. Point out the things in me that are offensive to you and restore me so that I can get to watch the sun stand still. Folks, there are so many things in this community that we need to pray sun stand still prayers over. The domestic violence epidemic, the issues of fuel poverty and food poverty, the friends and family members that if we're honest, we actually think are beyond the reach of God right now. We need to learn how to pray sun stand still prayers over those people and over those situations. But the first step for us is to allow God to search us and to convict us, to forgive us, and then send us. If you're able, will you stand? So Lord, we say here we are in our homes, in our cars, in this room right now. Here we are. Come Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Search us, O God. James is quite clear, says, confess your sins to each other so that you can pray for each other, so that you can be healed. My sense for many of us this morning is this is a moment, or this afternoon now, this is a moment for us to allow God to put his finger on some things that we need to be honest with him about so that we can be healed. Not so that we can feel bad. Not so that he can give us a clip around the ear. So that he can say, you're mine and I love you and I have more for you than what you're currently living through. 
the door that we have to walk through into that future is one of confession and repentance. And we can make that a private thing. My experience is, according to the book of James, that it is as we put that confession and that repentance in our mouth and then the ears of a brother or sister that something is unlocked in our lives. A healing happens. And so my challenge to you this afternoon is if you know there are things, listen, some of this is not dramatic. You just never forgave that person that hurt you last year. And it's time to do that because it's holding you back. For others of you, it's really bad and it's ruining your life and your relationships. Whether it is something small or something big, the challenge for all of us is the same. Will we confess our sins to each other so that we can pray for each other, so that we can be healed? And that doesn't have to be with me or somebody on the staff here. It just needs to be with someone. And so my challenge to us today, whether you're at home or you're in this room, if there is business you know that you need to do with God, then find a brother or sister and involve them in that business. Involve them in it so that we can be the people that God has designed us to be. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your restorative grace. We thank you for the call of God in Christ to live lives worthy of the calling we have received. And so, Lord, I pray now for an impartation of both faith and courage. Give us courage to be honest with you and honest with each other. God, we want to be the kind of community that prays sun stand still prayers. But we know that requires us to be the kind of people that can carry your kingdom. And so God, come, give us what we need. Fill us freshly today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.